to remember how to do this, but no, <laughs> um, it's finally happening. <laughs> Somehow we're back. It's the Unsung Podcast. I'm Mark. Say hey, Chris. I'm Chris. That's Chris, and the whole the whole gang's back together. All right, there, guys. It's Big Dave here. <laughs> Special occasion to resuscitate us. Yeah. <laughs> I, heard, I heard you were having some digital troubles. You needed a youngin in here to sort you right out. That's right. Brought in one of the young team. They're all, they're I've got all... an A in my higher computing. <laughs> it's like when my dad phones me up to ask me to install something on his phone, or like you know, answer an email. How do you attach things to an email? I'm like, well, I've been hacked. We we'll better get Dave in here. He's young <laughs> That's me Thanks Dave, welcome back That's nice to be in Brought in some youthful emo music for you For this album, I can tell <laughs> You know who's another Dave that's back on the scene Oh, yeah, yeah, well <laughs> We'll be talking about that later uh, Oh yeah So, um, yeah uh, We are going to also bring back the Nexus this week Because that's something we hadn't done in a wee while cause We've not a wee while Yeah, yeah <laughs> So uh, I think we've got an honorary inclusion of David Cameron uh, yeah, <laughs> storming back onto the UK political scene. <laughs> yeah, so why why are you storming back onto the UK podcast scene? What's your gap been for? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> so folks that are members of our uh, AAA or involved in our socials in general will probably know that uh, general listeners really. Yeah, uh, mm. so basically I was the victim of cybercrime, <laughs> writ large. Um, I was browsing the porn recesses of the internet but it, which is basically come on let's admit it that's what everyone's assuming mm-hmm. so and i'm like oh i was trying to install this kind of weird browser app they're like no you weren't no you weren't chris uh, but i was doing something on the internet and i invited something onto my my computer that i thought had scanned and checked out okay and it turned out it hadn't mm-hmm. and what has then unfolded like, after the initial catastrophe uh a series of um my identity and my data being compromised. Uh, for example, two days ago, I woke up, I'd bought a holiday for five days in the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's pretty good. Well, eh? When are you going? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? So I did manage to cancel it. I did manage to get everything sorted out. However, if I hadn't been able to get the money back, I was like, I think I'm just going to fucking go. Yeah, fuck <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm paid for it. Yeah. And there's a very good chance that somebody will walk in. You'd meet the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I can maybe just do this. But yeah, so uh, I it's it's been testing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. It was it was costly as well, and hence uh, for everybody that contributed to the show to to that end, thank you very much. It's really appreciated. I did have to invest in quite a bit. Uh, of new uh, hardware and software um, and uh, just personally as well I took a bit of a dent in my funds wasn't able to get everything back uh, but that's a uh, lesson learned mm-hmm. and I'm not going to mope about it because the more I mope about it the more I feel I'm effectively giving them yeah. I, I know I'm out there on the dark web being stripped and sold for parts that's <laughs> that's just what's happening but um, yeah I've done my best to try and get everything back under control I've seen that the new Argentinian president <laughs> the exciting new was it him well no but he as well as getting rid of the uh education culture and women offices of the government mm-hmm. uh he's really expendable banning abortion which is only just uh you know been legalized three years ago go relax gun laws and he is also going to legalize the buying and selling of human body parts <laughs> Man, it sounds That's like a failed state, so, isn't it? <laughs> he sounds like a really 
excellent guy it, and I'm looking forward to seeing Chris Cusack's knees <laughs> for sale <laughs> on the Argentinian dark web it does sound like a good old time down there now doesn't it it's pretty much anything goes like spring it's break it's like a purge <laughs> spring break meets the purge uh, all year round well Chris I was going to say if you did want to mope about it though this is this is a problem with the band you would mope to <laughs> I'd, no this is not mopey this, this is, is mopey as fuck this is, this is something else so before we get to that, uh, other things to cover, uh, we, as always, have a subscription system. You can go and check that out on our Patreon, and we have some merchandise. You can go and check that mm-hmm. out on our Etsy via our website. Um, we do have control over all these things, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> they have not been sold in the dark web. Not compromised. Although one of the first things I did was send Mark frantic messages and phone calls, just being like, kick me out of everything <laughs> now. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the way, it wasn't quick enough for my band. Oh. So yeah, lost some of that stuff. Uh, but anyway, so in the interim, I uh, I took myself down to London because it was my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday to me! Uh, took myself down to London and uh, saw Queens of the Stone Age, and uh, was struck by two things. Great, in fact, three things. What a fucking great band in terms of what an amazing bunch of musicians who are absolutely at the peak of their power still. Uh, second, what a fucking unbelievable catalogue. They played for like an hour and 45 minutes, I think, and they could easily have played again for the same amount and not played any bad tunes. I mean, it was it, it really sank in how much stuff they've got to draw on. And the third thing was what a bunch of tragic, smarmy old bastards they are. <laughs> it, honestly, like, it, Josh Holm is unbearably smarmy like he's just a smug swagging and prickier man and his patter was terrible and I got back and I was getting these notifications from like NME and I think it was Clash Mag and stuff like that Queens of the Stone Age turn on the charm and all that kind of like no fuck no like honestly they talked between songs and every fucking word that came out his mouth was giving me the fucking heaves mm-hmm. like pointing at people in the front row saying he was going to get their number later on and saying how much he wanted to get loving with us all and all this kind of it was just he's a fucking ball bag somebody put it really well he's like he's not taking the divorce very well mm, and yeah. yeah someone needs to come pick her dad up well, this, this <laughs> reminds me of a band that I went to see for the first time this year and they were simply tremendous state of cool. <laughs> I know one of them's Nearly. dead yeah, they're uh, still going. <laughs> simply tremendous, incredible catalogue because they played a bunch of songs that I hardly even knew. Um, they probably could have done about ten times that. Mm. But what is their singer all about? It was Iron Maiden. Bruce oh, Dickinson. Really? Oh. What the fuck are you talking about, son? What was he saying? What's he been on? He's just. I think. I, I think it turns out that he's always been like this. He's a. Uh, just a twat. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. He's a he's a bit of a Brexit guy. Yeah, but he's just like that, a yeah. middle aged, weird, grumpy guy. But he's got that trooper beard stuff to sell. You know, what I mean, yeah. he's, he's got to be Brexit. Uh, he's just got like odd patter. All right, so my my pal who is a Greek photographer and she boycotted Queens of Stone Age and you know the photographers' union, uh, oh, but she yeah. also because they don't like getting kicked in the face. Yeah, exactly. Them. But we she just... also went to see Iron Maiden in Athens last year. And Bruce Dickinson, there was somebody with a flare, and the guy said, "Put." And Bruce Dickinson said, "Put that out, you Greek cunt!" <laughs> In front of like fifty thousand Greek people. 
<laughs> so yeah fair well <laughs> he would argue that it was accurate it was accurate labeling we would we would yeah maybe a comma it. yeah <laughs> um well okay sorry to hear that i used to really like his radio one rock show i think i've mentioned that a number of times in this show has been like a what's the word i think he's he's kind of going down the john cleese path Ah. Yeah, okay, okay. But you mean just like, uh, maybe they should have died. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say the same of Van Morrison? I mean, I, I've been saying the same about Van Morrison since Brown Eyed Girl came out, but <laughs> same. Um, the new album out, though. I'm sure it will, it a does. lot of our listeners will be choking for us to cover that one. Um, but no, uh, as you said, uh, I don't find this... Mopey, uh, but we are covering the band Poison the Well, and uh, Dave, was this your choice? Yes, I think I've been, been Dave. Yeah, I think I've been talking about this for a while. Right. What's the album? Uh, you come before you. You come before you. <laughs> do, do we know what the fuck the album title is referring to? I uh, do. You need to. <laughs> I don't even think Jeff knows Jeff. No, I mean, I wasn't able to find it anywhere. You come before you. I was like, is it? Is it like sexy? <laughs> I don't think it's sexy. I think I think they're trying to be. Um, I don't know, slightly philosophical and yeah, ponderous. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is an era when they started leaning into their song names a bit more. I noticed that. Well, this the album that we're doing is the third record, mm-hmm. and they're leaning into a lot of things because. Yeah, their previous two albums were very much of a singular genre and mm. a singular Wh- mindset, yeah. which they pioneered, of course. Yeah, I think we'll talk about this. I think I think they are very much peers of a lot of bands that we talk about um, oh, and have talked about previously and have covered previously. Yeah, um, they're definitely influenced by bands we've covered previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as yeah. their sound changed. Uh, one thing that did strike me is that this is very much a crag band. We could probably have roped Craig into this episode as well. Full sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could easily be one of the track titles. <laughs> so That's a deep cut for fans of the pod, by the way. It's <laughs> a deep cut. I don't even know what episode that is on, so if somebody can find it and let us know, you're, you'd be a champion for us all. It's on a few of them. It became like a bit of a, a trademark, you know, yeah. a catchphrase, like, don't have a cow, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a little bit about Poison the Well, Dave, from Miami, Florida. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, I think they're originally from Coral Springs and then they moved to Miami, which... Ah, yeah. yes. Because I associated them with being sort of East Coasty, like Chicago, that kind of stuff, but it wasn't until we were doing this that I realised they were actually Floridians. Mm-hmm. You do yeah. have elements of that kind of northeast hardcore sound. Yeah, you I mean. certainly see who they toured with in the late 90s and early 2000s and it was bands like Converge and Botch and Bane. So everything from tough guy hardcore to thinking man's hardcore. Mm-hmm. To tough thinking man's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wide palette. Um, a palette can't really be wide, can it? Well, I suppose it could be. Depends on a wooden palette. Yeah, it's not really a common <laughs> saying. Um, a broad palette. Broad palette. Yeah, that's that's, that's better. Uh, it's better than a wide palette. Plus, wide in Scotland is just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more going on with that word here. Um, so they formed as Doubting Thomas in 1997. 
uh, what is it, Ryan Primack? He's the one guy that's been in it uh, the entire time, eh? and, and a vocalist called is it Ar- Arye? Arye Arye Letter. Letter. So I think this is yeah, basically like our high school band. Yeah, when they kicked off. Yep, and uh, they added Russell Saunders and Shane Halpern. Now, it, a little word of warning: if you are going to go through every band member, no, I'm not going to do that because <laughs> it's, it's like that. the fucking fall there. Isn't I know it, it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's actually it became like a running joke in my notes. Yeah, like, yeah. and of course they got a new bassist. Yeah, yeah. It's mad. <laughs> it's final tap. They explained. I guess a running us. joke in the band as well. To be fair. Yeah, um, but no, they they then changed their name to An Acre Lost in December of '97. That's uh, the last name they had. Before before they became Poison the Well. So, five albums, some EP stuff. The first EP was 1998. Distance only makes the heart grow fonder. Hmm. Any of you guys have that EP? Yeah, I didn't have any records by them. But I did listen to it, yeah. What do you think? It's very primitive, isn't it? Yeah, it's just chug. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, teenage teenagers doing chug. What is your recollection of them generally as a band, Mark? You never had hooks... Which is something that still stands up today. <laughs> I never had good hooks. Spoiler alert. Uh, not that I don't like. I, I, I didn't like them because of that back then. I think some of the stuff's held up okay. Some of it hasn't across all the records. Yeah, I never really caught on to them because of the lack of hooks. I know Nerdy was a huge song. I remember them being a huge influence in bands like Azriel here and Mendy, I suppose, maybe as well. God, they were so, they were so bad now. You, I, you are you now. at all offended that I just assumed you were into this band? <laughs> no, when I listened to them, I was thinking to myself, why was I not into this band? But then I realised why I wasn't into this band because they didn't have any didn't have any memorable big catchy hooks. Like they, they kind of moved in, this, in the album, the opposite of December, they kind of moved towards like be a bit more emo and they kind of move away from that side of it and become a bit more deftones eh? <laughs> um, so stop yeah stop throwing in all your spoilers man but they, they just never never grabbed me um, I know I had a few, a few friends that were really into them but I like a big sore and dramatic chorus and these guys are dramatic don't get me wrong but they never had are, are you not a Kill Switch Engage fan? yeah but they, are, they had way bigger choruses and better choruses and more memorable choruses in this right. band I always assumed there was a lot of overlap. No, nah, like the Kills Which Engaged were more definitely influenced by melodic death metal, like, you know, the Swedish stuff like at the gates. These guys were kind of more influenced by beatdown. More beatdown. And then later on, I think they were actually influenced by Swedish stuff, but it was like more post metal y yeah. sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they and obviously ended up working with the people that worked on Refused. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think they, they kind of diverse not only that not only that, but I guess they were taking a lot of influence for the same kind of bands like Basically, all the bands that influence Converge and all that, you know, the kind of kind of weird angular metal bands and noisy bands. For me, Killswitch is like progeny of Unearth, who sounds kind of a bit like Poison the Well. Unearth, Dave, seen them? I think I have seen them actually. You claim 
Taste of Chaos or something like that. Yeah. The metal version of Taste of Chaos. Well, that's it. I think Poison the Well would do Taste of Chaos. Unearth would do Unholy Alliance. Yeah, because <laughs> Unearth were kicking about at the same time and they were much more metal. You know, that's the kind yeah. of stuff that I can. It's, fun, it's funny talking about metal core because, I mean, this is. These guys are more on the core side than the metal Yeah, exactly. Side. Oh. You get a lot of bands that were more metal of the metal core, a lot of the bands that were more core But it's, it's also interesting that what became known as metal core, like post MySpace and stuff like that was I really like metal and I really like hardcore and then I fucking hate metalcore like <laughs> a lot of bands took the worst bits of both it's, all, it's like tech house as well I like techno and I like good house music but tech house is possibly the worst music that exists <laughs> um, worse than Psytrance well it's up there but I mean I think one of the things if you try and do metalcore at least if you're the first wave of people doing metalcore those are two genres that are very um, protective about the orthodoxy of, of the genres. So, you know, metal fans are notoriously like, that's, that's no metal enough, that's no metal, that's no right, that's not the true thing. And hardcore's the same, you know, people Definitely, get really yeah. snobbish about what qualifies. So if oh, you're yeah, actually yeah. taking two genres that are notoriously fucking protective and mm. then slamming them together and making something new, and especially if what you make then tends to appeal to a much younger crowd you're going to have that older kind of arms crossed over their chest kind of crowd at the back of the room going fuck's a shite yeah. fuck's a shite and I actually know people have probably said that yeah, exactly yeah. like that at these gigs I used to end up at a lot of these gigs yeah I think I can imagine though, at, that, at that time there's probably a lot of bands kind of about Glasgow doing this Azrael or the, or the example uh, 13th Oak was remember, full of these kind um, of bands yeah. but so many others I can't even remember half the names of them but they're, they're all shite names Joe definitely by, by my hands uh, yeah a hardcore band yeah like fucking they were metalcore as well I, get, I, I don't know I was going to uh, say a bit more knuckle draggy <laughs> they had Burn the Sunset um, mm. fucking Oh, like they exist we don't need to like put ourselves <laughs> from Glasgow this, I right? can't really name any from Glasgow but I can name loads of others on the last thing I need after oh. the months I've had is to the, sit to and go try and remember metalcore bands <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell I think talk about reliving trauma what's, I think probably what's, what's worth mentioning about their sound though is the fact that they're so after the EP the first record was the opposite December A Season of Separation which is their first album in 1999 yep And that came out the same year as The Shape of Punk to Come. Mm-hmm. It refused. Um, which is two very different... I mean, metalcore wasn't even really a thing back then, so I guess they probably just saw themselves as a hard, like an emotional hardcore band, maybe. This, this is an interesting thing. <laughs> is um, it? No, maybe it's not. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, that's some editing on the fly. Hey. <laughs> we're back, people, we're back. <laughs> I was just going to say that that represents two very different 
mentalities when it came to that music. But then again, these guys were at the at the the coal face of what became metalcore. So it's not fair to really say that what they were doing was very uh, within tight margins. Because obviously, what Refused did with that album was try and blow the doors off of what the sound could do. Mm-hmm. Whereas what they did with this uh, with uh, the opposite of December, a season of separation to give its full title, was actually here's some very tight parameters we're going to operate within this and as such it became like one of the foundational texts mm-hmm. of that entire style of music. So those two records coming out the same year I think represent very different goals you know. I think a more, a, a more interesting comparison in terms of an album would be Until Your Heart Stops by Kevin. That came out the year before this. I think was that ninety eight, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. beyond type of therapy, was that ninety seven? Yeah, and I think Poison the Well kind of followed Cave In in a lot of ways in terms of trying to expand their size consistently. Sides. And yeah, that first Cave In record was a hardcore record mm-hmm. with metallic, you know, elements. Yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty metallic as well. Um, this one, this is more hardcore and is much more beatdown. But the first six or seven years of both bands, uh, yeah, Poison the Well could definitely see Cave In's path and following yeah, it. But they're a consistently a couple of steps behind them, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to, to kind of bring that full circle, right? So, we get after that first EP, which I don't think any of us are massively keen on or have spent too much time with, the opposite of December, A Season of Separation, the album that came out in 1999. When we're talking about this band, there'll be people who are into this band or just even familiar with the genre that will probably be ra- like raving about how significant an album that is. As we said, it's considered something a foundational text of metalcore, one of the template early albums in that genre. I uh, really don't fucking like it personally, but I have done a fair bit of reading uh, in terms of trying to soak in why it's so important to people. Were you? Did you listen to it at the time? No. So I first heard Poison the Well with Botchla. From the second record yeah. Appearing on the previously mentioned several times uh, Casey Chaos Kerrang yes. CD yeah. I actually, That's one of the ones I actually had <laughs> Yeah, so I remember getting that and hearing it And going, yeah, I really fucking like that So that's the album I remember as yeah. well I, I, I missed that first one that I said. That was I a break, Over here I think that was a breakthrough record mm-hmm. Tear from the Red Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely And um, it's um, also easy in hindsight uh, I just want to like uh, caveat my opinion on this record. It's easy to hate metalcore in hindsight. I do want to acknowledge that this was one of the first records in that genre. So to then beat it round the head with the shit that followed it yeah. isn't always very fair. It was fairly pioneering in what it was trying to do, even oh, if the parameters are quite narrow. My old flatmate who was just absolutely fucking obsessed with hardcore and he was straight edge and all this stuff when I met him at uni. So I'd been listening to Botchla and I think you come before you had come out, but he was absolutely obsessed with Opposite of December and he was one of these guys that knew nerdy and had seen them in like I don't know maybe the 13th note or the uh, Barfly 
And I'd probably just watched, you know, low-res videos of them mm-hmm. playing club shows in Florida and just go, yes, I fucking love this. Fucking Winamp. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I kind of missed it. And I remember going back, because I have to say, when I bought Botchla, uh, well, I heard Botchla and then I got Tear from the, the Red, I was pretty disappointed with the rest of that record because I just didn't think it stood up to that song. And then I went back and listened to Opposite of December. Mm-hmm. And I understood why, like, even then as an 18-year-old, younger kids would like it. Because <laughs> it, was, it was just, like, you know, straight to the point, chuggy bits, and it had, like... It was just built for the mosh pit. It was yeah. built for, you know, a, a sweaty a wee club of... An 18-year-old man <laughs> shaking his head slowly. Oh, like, is that what the kids are listening to these <laughs> days, eh? So, um, <laughs> Loud, Loudwire voted it the number two best metalcore album of all time. Kerrang voted it number four uh, in the same category. Um, looking at some of the boards and stuff, yeah, like uh, foundational text, uh, the lyrics get a lot of love. This is this band are wee guy music to me. I couldn't wee guys at the time. Oh <laughs> wow, the fucking lyrics on this album. Oh, I so mean, bad. the fact that they're getting picked out is like here's here's some lyrics from the first tune. Gouge out my eyes, pestilence, lack of love binds, propagate, the strife you desire, keep me from forced self-depiction, aberrate, self-assured I am no more, take this away from me once more, thirst for something that never existed, complacent, I am abomination, I replace, absence of malice, sew my mouth shut, the silent sound of the end, I drown in tears, all of which sounds like the track list from another metalcore <laughs> album, it doesn't sound like coherent lyrics. Uh, they're, uh, yeah, they're not, I think... There's a bit of the bit of the old metal, like the old metal kind of lyrics in there as well, like death metal stuff, where it's just like mm-hmm. garbling, garbled yeah. phrases and words just for. Whatever. And there's also a fair bit of this sort of self pity and kind of. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that one of the thing when I was listening back to it is like this is like such. I think what was it? Ad Andy Fay McCluskey, Andy Falcus used to always say like, "My special pain is greater than your special pain." <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what the lyrics for these first couple of records are like. It's just it's also vaguely misogynistic and it's so self pitying and oh, it's self aggrandizing. Well, it's just written and by nineteen year olds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh-huh. I've, I've yeah heard I mean, Henry Rollins used the phrase that was it the something poet warrior. It, this this person that has this image of themselves as being this troubled, you know, mm-hmm. like but hardened guy who can oh, take on there. the world and I wrote those lyrics yeah. Yeah. So, uh, here's another couplet here I've lost faith in what I've been told it's all a lie I show true feelings always feeling the pain <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty good um, so yeah uh, they d- but in terms of being sorry in terms of being built from the pit there were some good breakdowns in this album. There I are am. some. I mean, it's kind of vicious in a lot of places, you know. It just has no mids. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the production is pretty tinny. Skippy, skippy, man. No yeah. mids. The, the bass sounds horrible. The snare is St. Angercore. Yeah. Well, there's actually a wee bit of that uh, at various points of, of yeah. their, their, their career. Um, they did a nice thing in this. They got their ex-vocalists, the guy Lerner and the guy called Hossein, uh, in to do a song called Not Within Arm's Length. So they had everybody... Run, 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 run. 
Our next album is all their bassists. <laughs> <laughs> like the boredoms. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I guess you could say for them is like the people that did leave the band, it never seemed to be like they were kicked out. It was probably just, I need to go get a job now, boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I would like a, is it Miller? He left because of differences, <clears throat> musical differences or personal differences, I think it actually was. But, um, yeah, so it's also the era of preposterous hardcore song titles, if you remember that. Um, they probably pioneered, to be fair. Uh, they were part of it. They were certainly not the kings of it. Uh, Drown not the kings Drown of it. Drowning Man mm. were definitely much, much better at that. Um, ultimately, yeah, I think this is kind of a load of pish, lyric-wise, let's be clear. Uh, but it, it is what I expect for angsty wee guys, uh, you know, beating their chest. Uh, mm. And I think... You know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone <laughs> in terms of lyrics. We've done our demolitious. Um, it has that drum vibe of the band Snapcase, which I think is another thing that places it in the East Coast for me. That dead tight piccolo snare yeah. also reminds me a wee bit at times of the band Vision of Disorder. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's kind of rad chest beater stuff, you know, I've been at a lot of those shows, it's wee boys pointing at the ceiling and screaming and, you know, yep. pulling their shirt after their body and stuff like that, and just, it's dead performative, I mean, the, the metal part of metalcore makes this too regimented to speak to me, the way that some of the looser sort of screamo stuff did, some of the really interesting post-hardcore stuff that was still very intense, had almost like experimental parts to it like I think a band that would be a great example to me would be Dazzling Killmen um, the album Face of Collapse I think that's something that we'll probably end up covering at some point but it's got that noise rock almost like if Sonic Youth started like an extreme hardcore band or something it's got little bits of mm. that in it which I think is a lot more interesting than the metal that came into hardcore was very regimented it was very like tight and claustrophobic and sort of like shiny you know the very sharp 90 degree angles on those riffs you know partly because it's so scooped you know it's yeah. like good 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 like that There's two songs on this that I remember that I specifically put on my MP3 player. Mm-hmm. There's Artist's Rendering of Me, which is basically just a breakdown, but then it's got a bit at the end which has a cool, I don't know, they go above the third fret. Wow. <laughs> And Mid-Air Love Message, which is maybe the last song. It just has this really good metal bit in it, and it just sounds like Pantera, but 
it's fast mm. and it goes and they've listened to some Pantera and some Slayer pretty much. Yeah, I, th- I think their music improves as well as their EQing improves. <laughs> you know, and yeah. the Pantera thing is don't just like leave some of the body in, in those guitars, you know, and I think that tends to, to benefit them. I, I think as well, though, I'm, I'm criticising the metal side of metalcore. I think with the hardcore side of it as well, I found it pretty draining. It was just, it was too macho. And it, the thing is, it seemed like it was a scene that was trying to sort of reform itself. There were a lot of bands out there that were coming to terms with the misogyny of that scene and the fact that it was so gender, you know, unbalanced and all these kind of things. And this stuff just sort of seemed like a bit anachronistic to me at that point. It was like... Do you know what's weird? Is it still kind of like that? I don't know if I've been here since I went, but I went to Outbreak Festival mm-hmm. in Manchester. And like, so that's like the big hardcore. It's just full of everybody that loved this. Yeah. And, it, and Death Grips. And then they've tried Death Grips and Denzel Curry and people were totally into that. But then the, the Friday night they had Converge, mm-hmm. who were fucking amazing, obviously, because it's Converge on a massive stage and it sounded incredible. And people went mad for it. But then after Converge, they put on Bane. Mm. And like... Such an artistic step backwards. Yeah, but they, but they knew exactly what they were doing because they knew that 5,000 kids in that place were just going to go fucking mental to such generic bullshit hardcore. Yeah, and also it's kind of a nod to the old guard, isn't it? It's like even for Converge, they were like, you know, they would. Yeah, off. they grew up on Bane. Yeah, so. Exactly. Or yeah. Bane not in their farewell tour as well. I think they're, they're uh, yeah, done. Yeah, possibly. Um, I, so, put, I put them in the same category as Botch and Converge in terms of influence on this record for sure. Obviously, they're not as weird and as angular. As challenging as those two bands, mm. but they definitely they, all these bands were pushing hardcore and metal in different directions. I have no doubt they would have played a lot of shows together and would have been a lot of the same bills at this in this era, mm-hmm. um, and probably maybe on Tear from the Red era as well. Um, you keep saying Tear from the Red; it's not Tear from the Red. That's Tear, isn't it? Is it Tear? Tear. This is one of the problems with English, right? That mm. We don't have don't any. Way so I well. think because of the emo element, I'm saying tear for. Yeah, me. I always said tear because I was. The, 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 the cover's got old. a sort of a tear, tear across yeah, it, uh-huh. and it's yeah. Well, we could just say it in English accent and then you'll know. Tear from red. Oh, tear from red. <laughs> tear from red. <laughs> um, so around about this time, well, 2001, they toured with Kindiria and Cryptopsy. Um, they went through. A <laughs> 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 uh, they went through a couple of bass players, uh, as they do. Uh, February two thousand and one, they did a split with um, a new kind of saint, which included Poison the Well covering "Today" by Smashing Pumpkins. Um, they were actually meant to do, which was never actually released. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Because they later did another Smashing Pumpkins cover mm-hmm. Soma uh, for that tribute album The Killer in You They were going to do a Metallica cover split record um, with, with 
18 Visions, the band. Poison the Well were meant to do Injustice <laughs> uh, for All. That was going to be their track. Yeah. That would, I Wait, mean, that would probably would have suited them. They could have done that, yeah, uh-huh. pretty much. Because they just took that bit and made that an album, basically. What would 18 Visions have done? It's weird to oh. think they were around about the same time. Cause they toured, and I think they even shared a bassist, at, funnily enough. Oh, um, but 18 Visions, oh my God. Uh-huh. Like yeah, <laughs> well, we talk about metalcore, but it's Man. funny. They're like, I, mean, that, I, I don't know anything about this band. I'm, I'm playing off your their first record. Here. No, maybe it's their second record. Is it the, the purple one? Visions is that the one? Which Visions. Is, that's like the, it's the, kind of a guilty pleasure of mine because I quite like some of the melodies in it. But if you're, emo if you're talking about terrible lyrics, yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. god, they are so. Fuck it. 18 visions are hilarious. As the person that edits this podcast, I'm going to find this out. They were, on, yeah, yeah. they were on Trust Kill with, right. with Poison the Well. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, I think I think the guy, one of the guys, 18 visions, is still friends with the guy who ran Trust Kill Records. Well, let's uh, let's get to that because uh, tear uh, tear from the red, tear from the um, <laughs> and came out in 2002 on Trust Kill Records, and I believe there's some controversy around about that label. That is correct. Yeah, um, do tell. So basically, Truskill was like a little microcosm of this of this kind of scene at the time. Those those are really or really well known bands from from the scene that were on it. You had Hopes Fall, who are ostensibly a Christian band, but they were kind of doing really kind of actually at the time really interesting post hardcore stuff. had uh, bands like Bleeding Through who kind of took the metal edge of Poison the Well and, and sort of pushed it really into the into the closer to the metalcore side of metal mm-hmm. um, oh it's just oh, I can't remember there's like one song of theirs I really like but I can't remember the name of it that's no, how, how long it's been still listening to don't feel like you have to um, and then you had bands like Throwdown and Terror and stuff that were on the label as well so yeah basically the, the guy who run it sorry was a guy called Josh Graybell um, and yeah, he essentially, according to people like Guys in Hope, like the Guy in Hope Fall, the Guys guys in Poison the Well, Guys in That Dies Today, um, and Walls of Jericho and all that, basically say that he fucked them out of money. I think Hope's Fall said it was like like 20 grand, but he's. Yeah, he, it was hopeful. Yeah, he later went on to claim that it was because he, he got into a distribution deal, which basically meant he was making no money and couldn't pay any of the bands and then had to wrap the record, record label up in 2013. Uh, no, in 27, sorry, 2007, sorry. So he disagrees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does, but I think, you know, time seems to have been quite favourable to him. Um, he's been interviewed about the record label quite a lot. He's been quite open and honest about what happened. Mm. Um, I remember at the time, loads of people saying, oh, trust, fuck this guy, trust kill, like, pure, like fucking bands out of money and, and, and basically been horrible. Early experiment and cancellation. Yeah, pretty much. But <laughs> there's a trust kill record label um, Twitter account, which he still runs, you know, and he's full of banter on it, you know. Um, so I think... And and Twitter is nothing if not a sign of quality. Of course, days. yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that it was just a bad dude, but I think maybe I think maybe he's right. I think maybe he just get into a bad situation because the label was getting big. All these bands were exploding, not just Poison the Well, but Terror and It Dies Today, Memphis May Fire were all getting huge, and then fucking off onto much bigger labels because of the exposure and stuff that Truskill had given them. There um, were a few band, few of these bands wrote songs about him. Yes, that is true. Like uh-huh. I think. Uh, it dies today on their song Harlots, Thieves and Fakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 
they have a lyric when trust is killed you'll only have yourself to blame goodness me i know that cuts deep it really does oh who's the harlot in that story well who knows it dies today that's another <laughs> multiple metal. harlots i saw mm-hmm. i saw it dies today support somebody in the garage and uh they're really bad as well yeah jokes on them well to get from his due i suppose um a quote from an interview he did in 2013 with Soundcrave magazine he says, I had to walk away from Trustkill. I got into a distribution deal that when I signed made sense to everybody involved back in 2007. Fast forward a few years and there was a whole new regime at my distribution company that didn't necessarily like my deal. The business was in a downward spiral and then there was a recession and they wouldn't let me out of the deal and they just stopped paying me. So, so he's passed the buck. Yeah. I think he owes a lot of money, but he's also maybe owed some money. But he probably fucked over more people than... Yeah, who knows? Who'd have thought somebody wasn't getting rich in the music industry around yeah. about 2000? It's interesting. <laughs> What's really interesting, right, though, is to see a Wikipedia controversies tab from a metalcore era 2005 to 2010, and it doesn't include sexual assault. <laughs> <Didn't it? laughs> he probably didn't have the time. I mean, well, <laughs> well, wait a minute, there, were, there was mention of harlots in that. Uh, that those oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's someone missing here. Maybe a secret level in that Wikipedia that's got all the juicy stuff. <laughs> um, so, I, uh, Tear from the Red, um, comparatively poorly thought of by many of the fans, uh, leading a bit more alternative post-hardcore, I think, as they maybe try to expand their sound and thus the potential fan base a bit. And also getting older as well. I was literally, yeah. I literally have, or just grew up a bit because that's that thing that happens. Eh? <laughs> um, I've got a lot of respect for bands that, that, that do that. As, as they, if they stay a band long enough, where they actually grow up as people and, and their taste change, and they go and explore that, because loads of bands don't. Yeah, Pop punk bands in particular are really bad for that. I mean, you know? I um again, spoiler alert, going to fly in the face of convention tonight uh, because I prefer this to the first album. Uh, me too. It's a bit more rock and roll. It's mm. a bit. Groovier, it's got fewer of those right angles and shiny surfaces, and it's a, it's more. It's just a little bit more expansive and interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. More it's muscular sounding. The songs are better put together. I don't think it's the best compositionally that they do uh, throughout their career, but it's certainly a huge step up from the last record for sure. There's just better flow overall. I think between all the moving parts. So it was originally meant to be recorded following an Asian tour, but the tour collapsed, I believe, so the band had more time to spend preparing the album. Uh, Jacob Bannon was originally mooted to do the artwork, but he didn't in the end, the artwork. I don't know, I was trying to decide, is the artwork quite forgettable, or is it actually quite effective? Because I do remember seeing it, I just don't think, when I look at it, that it's particularly great, mm-hmm. yet I can clearly recall it, so perhaps that's effective. Did you release it with uh, Jacob's artwork? No, I think it was another musician that did, they did the, that red and orangey yellow thing with the bird on. They did a re-release of both the first and second album at the same time with different artwork. Man, that'd be a slap in the face for the guy that did the original artwork, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I think Jacob Bannon did the first record's artwork because it looked well. I don't know if he did for sure. Probably on the internet somewhere, but it looks like his style. Um, the first one looks like just an AI. You were like, "Give me a metalcore album cover." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the album was originally meant to drop on Valentine's Day, but the label pushed it back by five days. Oh, God damn it. 
Yeah. Don't they realise how, how many feelings went into this record? Apparently <laughs> not, man. Apparently not. That could be uh, an argument for Tear from the Red. Yeah. Um, it began to take off commercially from March or April of that year, and the major labels became quite interested. Uh, Trust Kill were not happy about that because, as you say, a lot of bands were leaving them to go into these bigger deals, and they were trying to secure these bands on to, to, to deals to keep hold of them and it just wasn't really happening I guess um, if, if you want to say one thing about Josh I guess he must have had a really good eye for bands because a lot yeah, of them yeah, a lot of true. them did move on to do uh, like, much bigger things uh, guess what happened in May of that year they got a new bassist <laughs> <laughs> shocker you know the thing is it's, it's like at this point were they sure that he'd actually got rid of the old bassists? So there's so many of them. It's like, man, did we break up with him? I can't actually remember if we actually remembered to break up with him. But he's still be turning up to practice. Like, <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, a couple of the songs that, that stood out for me. Uh, number five, Moments Over Exaggerate. Um, I thought it had that melodic screamo thing poking through, uh, but it does show a bit of ambition. It's, it's it's fine. The hooks are never really great to me though, um, but the notion of at least trying to have a hook is becoming a thing. But that first album isn't really concerned with hooks whatsoever. Yeah, Nerdy's got a kind of a hook which kids fucking love to sing along to, but it's not, <laughs> but it's not really memorable. Sounds like you know, a seventeen-year-old hook. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it totally does. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we spoke about this by text. Uh, track six, the, the bad, the bad acoustic sort of horns <laughs> and tails. Yeah, uh, when a, when a hardcore band has an acoustic moment. On I mean, I have been to many of these shows over the years. I've seen enough of these tunes attempted live by this kind of band to know that not once was this song ever fucking sung in tune live. <laughs> like, especially not after the you know the first chunk of a set where they're throat the shredding. Shredded, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then he's trying to like nail these high notes. I mean, this is just a procession of missed notes, and you know that thing where they pull away from the mic because they're like, and I. Will- because <laughs> like, they can't get to it um, It's corny The song's generally just bollocks It takes me back to that really weird Excruciating feeling I got during these sets When somebody started doing something like this It's very vivid fucking bit of like Physical fucking trauma like, like, Oh god When's this one fucking finished But at least they've gone from just doing beatdown To going oh, let's do an acoustic song guys <laughs> <laughs> So they are showing You know <laughs> Progression. You start, you start to hear some Deftones influence in this one for sure. Like uh, some of the vocal and botchlar is very, the, the melodic vocals are very Gino Marino. Mm-hmm. Um, Rings of Corona has got some kind of octave chord progressions that are kind of vaguely Deftones esque. Yeah, I, I really I agree. Um, the track Pieces of You and Me starts with like a really emo vibe and it's, uh, it's almost in the vein of far. Yeah. And then it has a touch of Deftones as well I mean it doesn't reach the level of either of those bands mm-hmm. But it, it, it starts to sound like quite a different band already mm-hmm. Yeah I think um, There's some nice heavy guitar tones in the record Parks and what you meant to do to Parks and what you meant to them <laughs> Fuck these song names man um, <laughs> 
that's got a melodic passage right at the start which kind of pretends to what would come in the next record um, and they kind of expand on that idea for the rest of their career after this which isn't very many records yeah I think you can hear definitely bits of Deftones and definitely bits of Far but also for me I can hear Glassjaw too mm. oh yeah um, that's a fair point like was I mean Glassjaw is a little bit more weirdly that kind of broken post-hardcore whereas this is still quite chunky though this came out probably the same year as Worship and Tribute so the Glassjaw influence they would have had would have been from the first record Everything You Ever Watched in Up of Silence which mm-hmm. was just basically a hardcore record with some weird post-hardcore bits mm. <laughs> also has some of the worst lyrics ever written by any human being yeah, yeah <laughs> it's funny that a lot of these when we were that age we were like oh god these lyrics mean so much just because they're like vague and, a, and have some l- long words in them i mean to, Cla- to, to like biffy clyro are a classic and class is really interesting <laughs> because classic what <laughs> they've only done three records they've only released three albums and i think three eps the first record everything you've watched to know about silence is a as a case study in misogyny right a hundred percent and even Daryl even realised that after they released it and yeah. Worship and Tribute is an apology for the record that came fucking before. You know what I mean? So like that's like the amount that he'd grown. He's like so angry at his ex who cheated on him and then he's like, oh shit, I should not have done a whole record about that. What the fuck am I thinking? And the only play, like wherever, I've only seen him a few times and it was always before. It was like way, like much, much later um, when, they st- when they basically weren't really a band anymore. They would do occasional tours. Mm-hmm. Um, Far be it for me to make things too heavy right but the scene was fucking rife with that at the time guys that that poet warrior that again to borrow a a Henry Rollins reference the solipsistic guys you Mm -hmm. know that he had that book solipsist and where they're just incredibly self-involved and obsessed with their own complexity and pain and suffering and it actually there was a lot of guys were really abusive in their relationships Mm -hmm. at that time Mm -hmm. And they, they justified it to themselves by the fact that they were so creative. It's and my so special pain. Emotional. Well, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think you look at just lyrics and masculinity over the last 60 or 70 years and just, uh, yeah, how men... Is this Joe Rogan? No, no, but just how, <laughs> how men uh, put their feelings out there. And, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, people were talking about therapy and stuff like that. And it was for the first time mm-hmm. men were allowed to be emotional but they hadn't got to the point where you you weren't allowed to be a dick about it. Yeah. Like they were just being, it, yeah. yeah, they were being very self, self-obsessed and like the therapy wasn't about anybody else. It was purely about them. Mm-hmm. There was also a point where young women were more consistently told that they didn't have to accept that. And I think a lot of these guys got away with it, literally to the extent of being quite physically violent with their partners because the partners were like, well, it's because he's deep and um, he feels things too mm, strongly. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't good enough messaging uh, for a lot of people that you don't And I think that have to... happened, you know, at the highest level of like big bands, but it also happened in every local oh, scene in Scotland. Yeah, you know, definitely... I know so many people yeah. from like mid 2000s Glasgow that are cunts, yeah. you know, were really <laughs> bad people. That's the thing. Yeah. You did, there were guys slapping their girlfriends in bands and it was somewhat frowned upon but not to the extent that it's now frowned upon I mean nowadays that would be like right get to fuck off the scene get a new guitarist we're not playing with him whereas then it was more of a chastisement yeah, there's no accountability man yeah so I, don't, I don't really like that guy you know what? so there, there is a 
yeah, there's definitely more of a sense of prioritising the unacceptability of, of that now. But it just this music really reminds me of that moment yeah. when guys thought that by being incredibly self-involved, they were also somehow dealing with their emotions in a, sensi- a sensible, productive way. And they weren't mm-hmm. really. They were just really uh, like wallowing in them. And these lyrics are fucking... That's why they seemed... I mean, we're all guilty of it to some extent. I was guilty of it as well, absolutely. And it's like, that's why they seem profound to us because it's like, oh, we're in touch with our feelings. It's like, ugh, it's not the same thing though. It's more complicated than that. I was not, I, I didn't actually start playing in bands till I was a bit older. So I never I never played in a band or anything like this, even though, I, even though I liked some of the music. One thing I was going to say is that some record labels were really savvy about the way they marketed these bands as well. So bands like 18 Visions, for example, had that kind of, you know, the skinny jeans and the big fringe and was basically marketed to women mm-hmm. or girls and, and they would come to the shows and that would make that band huge right and that yeah. would just happen um, I think it was a lot a long time to receive wisdom in the record, in who, the record. who could have known that that could have ended badly yeah I was going to say a, 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 a lot, for a long time in that era and, and they received wisdom in the, in the industry was that well if, if, if we can get girls to like a band then they're going to get big you know what I mean? Lost Profit has been fucking case in point, right? Mm-hmm. Compared to their contemporaries, you know, for friends who were perhaps, who, who were never really positioned in that way as being pretty boys, you know what I mean? Even though they were a much better band, in my opinion. Band like Poison and Well didn't have, didn't have that marketing, do you know what I mean? But I think they kind of were a wee bit before that happened. Yeah. But the Poison the Whale weren't really, they weren't slammed together the way some of the other bands were as well. You know, there were bands that were literally picked for their looks and the fact that the labels, as they got more savvy, were like, we can turn them into like a really big emo success because they've got a good looking frontman or a good looking guitarist. Yeah. Poison the Whale were from a slightly more naive place of just being a band that people quite liked and being credited with kind of helping invent this, this genre. Um, well, I guess this moves us on to 2003 and they get signed to a major label. It mm-hmm. does. Um, so You Come Before You, is that the one that came out in the major? Yep. It was, right, yeah. Yeah, so they signed to Atlantic. Same year that Kevin released their major label, Antenna. Mm-hmm. Are you safe to leave Yeah, there was a lot of that. It's like a weird kind of a mini mirror image of that grunge explosion where all the grunge bands get signed. Yeah, it's like suddenly. And all, also, yeah. I guess they'd spent all their new metal money and were looking at trying to. Well, that's, that's yeah. what I was going to say. So, like, uh, if you think about it, I'm going to bring us back to the two Spotify episodes that we did because I think there's actually a nice little line here in this year. Um, this is when the record industry is really collapsing at this point, right? The money's fucking gone. Piracy is rife. And these bands were getting downloaded by wee guys <laughs> in their mum's bedroom on the on their computer and chucked on their MP3 player, like you just said earlier on, Dave. <laughs> you know I mean? We would chuck oh, them, yeah, I mean... You know, like, chuck money in it, chuck a few tracks in an MP3 player that holds maybe, like, ten. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so I can see why record labels, but major record labels going, well, maybe the people that are downloading these will be really really interested in buying the record next time because they're a bit older they've got they maybe get a job and fuck we really need money guys like that <laughs> yeah. you know i think everybody was just in disarray to be honest um so you come before you we'll obviously come back down a bit more detail but just in a nutshell it was voted number 27 in metal hammer's best albums of the 21st century uh, some of the fans reckon it's our magnum opus we shall establish that definitively for all time <laughs> shortly um it definitely had i think again a distinct improvement in vocal performance 
performances for example and tones um, but as you say signed to Atlantic for this they went and worked with Pell Henriksen and Eskiel Lovstrom who had recorded Refused both uh, The Shape of Punk to Come and songs to fan the flames of discontent and also Hell is for Heroes I believe which is a really um, well recorded album as well Yeah, so it kind of shows a bit of ambition though as well um, And also a bit of an attempt at something different Like they were trying to cross over or at least expand mm-hmm. um, They began an 18 month touring cycle around the world after completing that album I saw them on that tour, they supported Dillinger Escape Plan And the FL Jewath were the openers French tour. jazz metal yeah. band Wow I was maybe I must have been seventeen or eighteen, and then yeah, went to Liquid Rooms. It was oh, that was that's genuinely one of the best gigs I've ever been to. Wow, that, okay. that bill, I'd uh, I'd already like going after on your yeah, <laughs> mainstream. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the band got horribly fatigued and also really disillusioned. Yeah, yeah, I continuing because um, they'd released here from the end in two thousand and two. And then they released that in 2003, so yeah. they must have been totally done in. Uh, 2004, uh, Derek Miller, the aforementioned guitarist Derek Miller, quit. Um, he went on to do Sleigh Bells, which uh, I think is a band worth noting. <laughs> First album certainly is like potentially a candidate for the show. Well, that's a cool, it's interesting a, it's album. A interesting thing where they can it's like noise pop, like industrial yeah. metallic noise pop. Metal indie. I, Mark, have you listened to Sleigh Bells? Yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah. So the song Comeback Head is that one. Maybe it's just called Comeback, I can't remember. But. Um, basically, I think they've got five albums to date now. They brought one out in 2021. Still sound roughly the same. Um, they had a couple of tracks that got picked up uh, for a lot of sync that... Yeah. One, um, it's catchy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. There's there's two tracks off that first record that yeah got Aye. lots of plays. Remember they did a show. Uh, I saw them at uh, Stereo mm. really early on as well. Like kind of a bit gimmicky. I mean, he had this project in his mind and he specifically went out scouring about because he wanted a front woman for this project and ended up getting in touch with the person who is a front woman uh, and I cannot remember her name. Um, but yeah, an alright band. Interesting enough, they made it conversation. I just could never quite decide whether the record was really... Because it was also incredibly hyped at the time. They mm. were pitchfork as fuck. So it was like, do we really want to platform yeah. it? Because it already got quite a lot of attention. Various members of Poison the Well have played for sleigh bells over the years as well have they anyway um, versions 2007 the album that came after this Uh, 
Uh, new guitarist Jason Boyer came in 2005 and he was involved in the work and the run up to that record uh, in 2005 they also parted ways with Atlantic over creative differences uh, the direction that the band was going in yeah. um, Atlantic had allowed the band full creative control but didn't like the direction they were taking the band have suggested at this point that Deftones and Converge were having a growing influence on their sound I mean in this record the songwriting as far as I can make out for fan forums and things is seen as being a bit inferior to You Come Before You and it, it certainly lacks like the, the all out intensity of the earlier two records so for a lot of people it came up short in both departments mm. yeah they tried a lot of like country stuff yeah those stylings and slide guitar and stuff yeah those um, there's a little bit there's some like vaudeville vibes going yeah, on yeah there's horns like, on it as well organ in it yeah, yeah. Uh, Sputnik Music on the other hand rave about this record as being an absolute classic that just takes a lot of work to get to grips with Um, I think it's interesting that the initial fears over them signing Atlantic you know, obviously a band, especially a hardcore band or an extreme band, sings to a major label and people think, oh, they're going to just get watered down and compromised. It's fascinating that it actually worked out to be exactly the opposite, that the label was unhappy with the band, the way they were modifying their sound into something that I think was arguably more broad and they, they, thus they parted ways. The label actually wanted them to keep following the trajectory that they'd been on with the, the, the previous stuff. Yeah. That seems a bit counterintuitive. Um, a lot of fans seem to agree that the sound got too light on this record and overindulged in too many experiments. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we're poisoning the well a band that were expected to know their lane and stay in it. I guess maybe... Uh, I'm just going to do a massive mic drop here, though, and say, but funnily enough, this is their best record. Uh, I think I think this is the alternate universe version of You Come Before You. You know, I think this is probably, if the record label wanted them to be a kind of more palatable band, this is probably the record they would have made. So I think you're probably right on the money when you say this feels as though it's the other way around. Um, I think there's a lot of really good things in this record. I think it's a really it's got a lot of unorthodox instruments on it quote unquote unorthodox but they're good at it they are good at it Um, it feels like country metalcore to me it reminds me of uh, Murder by Death remember that uh, band Mm -hmm. Um, I do like it when it came out I enjoyed it Um, to me I don't know these last two records I like Tropic Rot as well but I just can't grasp them and I think this maybe goes back to you Mark I think what maybe these two records lack when they need it more is hooks mm-hmm. I don't really think there's that many hooks on versions I, I mean I, I think versions is the I, I mean, think it's a nice sounding record it's, it's a nice, nice sounding record in, but it's much more ambitious it goes more in the direction of bands like Caven and I do think it for me it has more hooks than the other stuff but I will qualify that by saying that the hooks aren't as good as one like Caven they don't get as high as that but the fact that they're going in that direction to me is much much more interesting and appealing and memorable I mean a couple of highlights just a couple the first one Letter Thing the opening track that's a ripper man yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that has some of the straight ahead charging hardcore energy that Converge had on All We Love We Leave Behind I 
you know that kind of quite stripped back not the kind of really rabid evil stuff mm-hmm. but the quite powerful straight on stuff I quite like the slide guitar in that I know you're saying country-ish but it's still played with like real fury it's yeah, just totally. it's a slide mm-hmm. guitar effect Um, I also really prefer the pitch of his vocal here. It's like a slightly higher pitch. It's a bit like when Jacob Bannon does that clearer thing that he does rather than the pure snarly black metal thing. It's aggressive, but it's not overly comedic or butch or cliched. I I just think it's a really nice pitch for his vocal. It's really easy to listen to. Um, The third one, Nagaina. Uh, has a bluesy, sluggish alt-rock vibe to it and I really like the ring-off chorus strikes Um, and the sixth one, Slow Good Morning a good song yes yeah, a slow track that works way fucking better than things like that earlier acoustic number mm-hmm. it's got big cave-in flavours as I say even if it doesn't maybe quite you know reach the, the heights of a band like cave-in uh, but I really enjoy the approach and as I say I, th- I think they're actually quite good at what they're doing in this one um, it just yeah it just seems to have not landed very well with, with fans of the band I mean I as usual went through their best ever albums kind of thing and this was solid last I, I like it like um I like the more melodic side. It's good to hear that Jeff can actually sing because he definitely mm-hmm. could, he definitely couldn't sing in the first the first album. At some, at some point, he's getting older and his voice can he stand up to the the beating that he's given it every night. I really liked the latter half of the record, Prematuro El Baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's um, like, yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, it's got it's got like a swing feel to it almost, yeah, it and it's does. got horns, which is really yeah. cool. Feels like every time I die in places with that kind of almost southern feel. That's a country thing coming in, I suppose. They they slowly get a lot groovier. Yeah, yeah. Riverside is a it's a, a legitimately a cowboy song. <laughs> um, the first day of my second life does really interesting things with slide guitar and a melodic vocal. It's quite abrasive without being really heavy, which is what I like about it. Plus, that's a long song name, but it's not a bad song name. Yeah. Um, it's more of a post-hardcore record than anything else, because mm. that's the direction they're, moved, yeah. they're moving in. Um, but, it, but it's still vicious at points. It's, yeah. still, it's yeah. still, still very heavy. Actually, I'm telling a lie. This wasn't Bang Last in every list. It was this, or it was The Tropic Rot. <laughs> so uh, shall we talk about The Tropic Rot? So The Tropic Rot is definitely the sequel to You Come Before You. Not 
that's the record that should have come next. Uh, do you know, by the way, this was originally meant to be recorded by Jay Robbins, but it just uh, that fell through. That's a pity. That could have been a really interesting uh, combination. Um, so uh, it's considered by you know places like Hard Times as their weakest album. It does definitely build on some of the ideas from versions and from You Come Before You, but um, I think people, certainly the forums, the fan forums, tended to think that they'd realised the ideas sonically better in this. Uh, you know, and maybe for example, some people preferred the vocal work and the sense of dynamics. I actually preferred the vocal work on versions. I think it's a much better pitch in his vocal it's less cheesy it's less like he goes back down the register on this he goes through you know from ah, yeah, yeah, to, ah, yeah, yeah, and it's a bit ah fucking luddite again um I, I don't actually warm the production on this all that much uh i'm i'm kind of odds with the fans of most things here though um i can see the comparisons um it is a bit beefier and manlier but i just feel it's a little bit of a step backwards it's all a matter of personal taste of course and i'm in the minority uh, on this subject. As I said, there's a lot more grooves and the riffs in this one. Yeah, they feel like the founder groove generally. Is and that, that's another thing, though, that also happened with Kevin. Because remember, like Trey Panning and those yeah. kind of songs, they they started to become more of a feature there. Um, on 2009 as well, they uh, around about the time of this record, they went on to Rebelli Talent and their van and trailer were stolen in Detroit. Um, they took all their equipment and all their personal effects and stuff, and they actually they got temporary equipment to continue the tour and then produced a line of special T-shirts to raise funds. And the T-shirts contained a detailed list of all their stolen equipment <laughs> including the serial numbers yeah that's cool that'd be a collector's edition thing to have eh yeah, just from that uh-huh. tour I mean you guys have any standout moments from this record I mean the track Pamplemousse tends to get picked out yeah this I feel this album has a good middle actually mm-hmm. whenever I put it on by track 3 I'm like oh, what's, I don't really see the point in this record yeah it's fine but then Pamplemousse it comes on I do like that that's a great uh, French by the way Who doesn't love a good dismemberment actually really good song. yeah great song. quite dramatic yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah so i definitely think it peaks during and then it kind of fades out in terms of quality again yeah. i like the, i like the star of it exists underground there's a really good driving song and so sparks it will rain and you can really see how far along his voice has come Antarctica inside of me towards the end has got a really interesting melodic section that goes into a slow D beat, which I think mm-hmm. sounds a bit like can converge, but a bit less dissonant. The um, Pamplemousse track, I think, has some of that Stephen Brodsky blues approach to the vocals where he slides into the vocal notes, you know, yeah. rather than just hitting them the way a young guy would. He started to kind of play with his voice and he glides into things. It's also really tub thumpy, which I think brings to mind that kind of J.R. Connors era Kevin, where everything was played on on the toms. Chris Hornbrook, the drummer, he's he's the MVP of the band. I think I think he's a fantastic drummer. 
he has more room to work on mm-hmm. this on this record. Um, Antarctica inside me, as you the one you mentioned, kind of underlines my point because I think it's got that kind of drum roll motif all the way through the verse, which is also quite cave-in. But then it, it goes into this harder chorus, which I think is just a total anticlimax. Like the chorus doesn't fucking deliver; it's just loud and one-dimensional, and as a result, I think falls quite flat from what could have been quite a skillful build-up. And I just think this this album in general just doesn't connect as well as as uh, versions. Mm-hmm. I think versions actually, the songs are more interesting, more adventurous, and I just I overall prefer the this, the sonics of the record, even including his vocal delivery. So. So that brings us to Dave's choice. You mm-hmm. can come before you. You come before you. So for me, I think it just hits the sweet spot. I think it's bang in the middle of their discography. And it's bang in the middle of Goldilocks zone. Yeah, totally for me. And like maybe you're coming to them pretty fresh. And, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. For you, versions connects with you, and I can see how it could do that if you don't have any nostalgic connection to the band, yeah. or you're not coming to it as a twenty-year-old fresh-faced little emo like I was. <laughs> Jaded twenty-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> no, but can I just also say I was at this bad work, but. This band were sort of re- like flagged for me as well though Because I was really into this kind of music when they came out mm-hmm. And yet I couldn't get into this band And so I was a little bit suspicious of like When I go back to this, what am I going to find? Because it did surprise me I did try a few times And I was into a lot of stuff that sounded sort of tangential and stuff But yeah. I couldn't get into Poison the Well So I was like, why didn't I get into Poison the Well? And having listened to it now Especially around about the era The first three albums I can understand why I didn't get into them And I didn't mm. even bother listening to the fourth And I and funnily enough That's probably the one that could have got me into them mm. Yeah, no For me when you come before you came out It was just Well first of all it sounded so much better Like the production yeah. It's like so clear There's actual panning on it <laughs> uh, Yeah, the, the guitars sound fucking great First track, Ghost Chant There's more guitar tones in the first minute and a half than there were on the first two records. Mm-hmm. That's four compared to three. <laughs> that um, that first track it opens with that late nineties, early two thousands East Coast drum sound thing, the hardcore drum yeah. sound thing that we were talking about. But what's changed big time is that the guitar has got a lot sludgier and grubbier. It's got dirt in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then like a, a, a sort of musical theme in this record is that bouncy, groovy sort of little tappy riff that they do. The and it it sounds like they're having fun. It sounds like they're a live band, and this would be great to see live. They don't like for a lot of times you get like hardcore bands that like go experimental and they just do a studio record. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a studio record that like works really well from beginning to end. But you can see them or visualize them 
playing it live mm. and going, yeah, this this bit would be fucking fun live. This yeah. bit would go down it well. It doesn't sound overcooked. Yeah, that's true. And the chorus in this one, I think, lifts a lot for Deftones in terms of the style yeah, of the for vocal. Sure. I've got that um, as well. I, I don't find the verses, though, particularly impressive. middle eight though is that big cave in delay yeah. thing I mean it's really wears it's fucking like colours on it's sleeve there mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I like that melodic section. I've picked that out as well. Uh, the last riff at the end is also really nice. There's a couple of good riffs in this song. The first one and the last one are, are particular. Yeah, definitely. It's probably the back. This is probably the best song on the record. Mm, it's a good start, anyway. Yeah, uh, loved ones. The second one um, again. Give it its full title, Chris. Uh, what's the full title? Loved ones excerpts from speeches of how great you were and will never be again. <laughs> there you go. Initially, I was a fan of that grotty bass tone, and the the riff is nice and direct in this. Yeah, one. the guitar tone, especially on this, but also like just on these first three songs, I'm like, oh, that sounds more like Cult of Luna than Converge. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a fast Cult of Luna, um, especially like pre-Salvation Cult of Luna. Yeah. Those first two records, it's really it's grimy. Yeah, yeah. I, and I I think they're maybe they are taking quite a lot of like they recorded half of this in Sweden. They've got Swedish producers. Like to me, this record sounds like a Scandinavian record mm. more than an American record. Weirdly enough, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, I think one thing that kind of stands out with the benefit of having listened to all their catalogue now is that the guitar stuff in this is still pretty beefy and power chordy mm-hmm. versus the kind of dissonant deconstructed and even sometimes sort of quasi tapped style that appears in the later stuff like for example yeah. you know track Dark Horse by Converge right yeah. that's a good example of that style of raging kind of hardcore stuff but where the guitar is quite deconstructed to mm-hmm. give that effect whereas this is still quite following the base basic there's, uh, nah, there's a lot of, there's some tappy bits though there but I, just, I just mean like the central the central chunks of these verses yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of that to it I like, his voice is pretty good and his voice has got a different dynamic compared to the last two records it's, yeah. it sounds like it's on the verge of breaking like a really kind of screamo um, some of the quieter there's a really nice octave guitar riff right before the quiet bit of the song which is very glass joy the octave chords that they use or the sort yeah. of progressions they use in the octave chords here sound like early glass jaw then for a bandage iris Yeah, this sounds more post-metally again, but weirdly enough, it becomes also the most hardcore song on the record, probably. 
and maybe the most pop one. It's got like an actual chorus. Oh, yeah, it's got it's got a good melodic chorus. Yeah, so it's like maybe the song that looks backwards most in terms of yeah what they used to be. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine it being recorded with a slightly lighter touch because it's got a sort of brown sounding guitar. <laughs> I don't mean that to be totally dismissive, but it's still, the guitar is a bit cronky in this and I think I could imagine the song done slightly cleaner. Yeah, mm. but then I, I, mean, I love anything with that little harmonic slide that they do there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just a sound that I enjoy. Uh, and then meeting again. At times I might think I need the rest, but who would want to go back there? Oh, it's clean guitar, and you're like, oh shit, are they going to do an acoustic song? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wavy at the start, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, but then, no, it's, yeah. It's, it's a good change of pace after the last three songs being exactly. quite rapid, you know? Yeah, you can just do that for 11 mm. tracks and it's yeah it's kind of woozy and a bit dreamy and then it builds up to chunky big it's very deaf that but yeah yeah absolutely this one reminds me of something um and it's that kind of alternative emo post hardcore melodic style like the choices of melody and the choices of like lines that defined bands like the copper pot journals or aerogram the copper me. pot journals i've not heard that name yeah years. and and obviously the, the, the song gets, temple class <laughs> <laughs> no they were a bit more kind of like indie but know. you know what i mean uh, but it gets a bit weightier obviously when the verse guitar lands but musically this does absolutely nothing for me right because see this school of songwriting those vocal melodies to me they were just so fucking tepid like i never ever got them I mean, it's it's one of the reasons that I just think Aerogram are a horribly overrated band, and I just I did not get what it was about these melodies that people were getting really excited about. Copperpot Journals, to their credit, had a couple of belters, but they would also slide into this stuff quite often. And then there was just a glut of like American Midwest emo that would do these quite generic sort of like you, you knew the pattern and you knew the notes that were going to hit, and I don't know why they were hitting those notes because mm -hmm. they didn't elicit any emotions in you. And this song, even though I think it's very competent, it just doesn't connect in any level with me at all. And I think they do that a bit too often. They go into melodic bits, but the melodic bits they, they go into are just so poorly chosen. Like, just like, that, and that's another reason that I feel like the following album is slightly better. That's fair. Um, the next song, A, the view from here is B, a brick wall. <laughs> what a name. What a name. Um, I like the drums on this. Um, yeah, this is a sort of big pitching, yeah, urgent a, bass. Mm -hmm. It's like a, an extreme hardcore version of Melvin's because it does this mm. really juddering, awkward stop-start. Mm. 
quite a complicated song yeah. in that sense, and it reminds me of something like Honey Bucket, but just a hardcore cousin yeah. or something like that. It's, it's, thought, it's interesting. I thought it sounded like a simplified version of Converge, because um, the, the riffs aren't particularly complicated, but the structure is a little bit different yeah. from what they usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a melodic vocal section around 2 minutes 20, which again is quite deft tones. Like he's clearly loving Chino as a, uh-huh. as, a, yeah. as a vocal reference on this record. Absolutely, especially in the next track, The Realist. Um, that breathy mid-range vocal thing the, be- the bass tone's actually quite cool in the intro of this this kind of fuzzy bass they've got it feels like a a natural continuation of the last song on the realist yeah the yeah. realist eye uh-huh. I mean th- this was always my favourite because I was a big Deftones fan mm-hmm. and I just yeah. really loved this big unashamedly that sort big of bending evil... sort of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and going back to it it's it's an interesting big ballady metal song I don't know uh, I know exactly you mean that because like the Deftones do that like they do they do like heavy songs which feel like ballads because yeah, yeah. of the pace and the, the yeah. fact that there's like slabs of guitar you know quite, what's weird I've quite drive yeah, I've, yeah I've DJ'd a few weddings over the last couple of years and people really want Be Quiet and Drive yeah. and it's usually women in their late 30s want mm. Be Quiet and Drive on yeah. and you're like oh that's interesting that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago <laughs> Aye, there's a gushiness to it but it's just yeah, very yeah. maximalist yeah. Um, this one Again, I just think the chorus is really whatever. It's that that I don't r- relate to the, the the melodic choices that are made in the chorus. It's very of its time. That's true. I think there's some strings in it towards the end of the last chorus. Uh, it could be. Um, because it, it, it kind of goes all wobbly towards the mm-hmm. end and sort of breaks apart. Um, so I mentioned uh, Trey Pannon by Kevin earlier on, and I think that track, Zombies Are Good For Your Health, number seven, yeah. has that rock and roll groove vibe to it. Yeah, um, big bouncy I, sort of. I'm obviously I'm not saying that I think it's as good as Trepanning because it's just not. But you know they, they they mix some groove into the pummel in this one. Yeah, it's um, I, I love a D beat. It was a slow D beat in this song, yeah. so it does have that a lot more urgency. And um, with a really really cool ending, uh, I'm going to do a big glass jaw comparison here because there's a few songs and the heavier songs on Worship and Tribute which sound quite like this. Um, and that last riff is a pure face melter. Um, the opinionated are so opinionated I feel personally attacked by that title Um, (laughs) it's just a don't have an opinion on it then it's just a little woozy break it's just a thing isn't it yeah Um, apathy is a cold body Yeah, it's another one of the s- slower ones. Really good drum pattern. In I it. really yeah. like the textures in this. Yeah, 
Deftones eh? and, yeah. and a bit Cave in places as well I think. Yeah the chorus is a bit emo But it's a nice sounding track it's kind of vibey, you know, which mm-hmm. they, they kind of experimented well, with and tear from the red. Yeah, I I think this record overall, they, they definitely allow you to sort of indulge in some atmosphere mm-hmm. rather than just be like, hit you over the head with a breakdown. Yeah, yeah, they go for something a bit more epic. There's a lot more dynamics in it. I think that might be quite commendable though, but when you think about the, the length of time between the last record and the touring cycle oh, and, yeah. and recording and releasing this. This is like a year later yeah. and they've suddenly become... Much, much better band. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sounds like the end of the world. It goes quite nicely in line after the last song. Well, I, see, yeah. the thing is, I think this track tips the balance of the album for me because at this point you realise that there's a lot of songs with that breathy emo thing going on. And I'd initially expected this to be a heavier album with moments of that. And actually what it turns out to be is a lot of that. Yeah. And I think that was a surprise to me because there's a good number of of tracks now that are actually built around these quite Chino Moreno Mm. style singing parts. Yeah. It feels like they're kind of starting to branch off a metal core on this this song. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of like nice wee sort of, there's woodly bits and there's Mm. glimmery bits and there's... um, You can hear how Versions falls quite nicely Mm -hmm. in line after this because you can see they're trying to push the sonic palette and in different ways they don't hold that momentum for the rest of the record because it does amp up again towards the end yeah well I think Pleasant Bull at the next one's really uh, well placed because it gets us back into violent country it's quite upbeat it's quite it sounds yeah, it's like got quite a major, it's got a major yeah, key yeah yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It's still, it's still a bit thuggish though You know It's it's very immediate I think Is the kind of The real key Aggressively to it. optimistic it Slaps you in the face There you go Aggressively optimistic mm-hmm. Ah it's, it's a welcome arrival I don't think it's the most inventive But I think it's a, it's Well judged in terms of like What your audience needs At that point And Crystal Lake Is the last song It's a big heavy outro Some really nice riffs on actually It's, uh, I've got it down as a respectable bruiser. Yeah, yeah. we're going down swinging, basically. <laughs> yeah, you're like, the this, they're a good hardcore band. Still, they might have listened to a lot of Deftones and drank some Swedish tea. <laughs> <laughs> Swedish, that famous Swedish tea. Yeah, um, but yeah, they can still make it happen. Fish juice. In conclusion, in con- do you want to go before? I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed this record, given I didn't really like Poison the Well when this came out. It's probably it's definitely aged better than the two records beforehand. Mm-hmm. It does stand the test of time in that regard. The Deftones comparisons are are really fair. I think it's funny hearing all these Deftones comparisons and actually going back to it and hearing the Deftones in it because when I was listening to Age Twenty, I didn't get that at all. It really. doesn't sound like Deftones, but it sounds no. like bits of Deftones. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Once you deconstruct it, you're like, oh right, wait, yeah, I see what's going on here. Um, I like it. Don't love it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think Poison the Well are really underrated as a band because their influence in the genre is huge. Bands like Bring Me the Horizon are so fucking massive. Bands like Architects are so fucking massive because they started off with this sound. Yeah. You know, or a version of this sound. I was I was musing on this earlier on today with my pal Craig. Um, shout out to Craig, I know he's listening. It's interesting because this, this style of metalcore with a kind of emo influence, it just vanished, you know, because they stopped doing it as well. It just kind of petered away. The more Killswitch engaged, the, the more sort of death metal inspired stuff continued to keep going. Mm. Yep. The bands that were carrying this can and kind of took it down the road are bands like Architects and Bring Me the Horizon, who are now two of the, boom, Bring Me the Horizon, one of the biggest bands of that genre in the world that are now on Slipknot. Um, and certainly one of the biggest bands in the UK. Mm-hmm. Not a heavy band. And well, I mean, both so. those bands headlined the Hydro. Yeah, exactly. Which is absolutely mental. I could never imagine it be Architects, man. But yeah, I know. you know, it's it's wild to see that they got it. Yeah, so poison the well upstairs in the barfly. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I played it upstairs in the barfly. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I, I think it's a good record. I think Poison the Well need to go in this sography. I think I think they are an unsung band. Um, it's not an over long album, yet I think the presence here. They're good at brevity, this band. Yeah, but I think there's the fact that there's a couple of weak tunes at least suggests to me I would probably have liked it more if it had missed them out and come in around the 35 minute mark instead mm-hmm. of 43. I don't think it's a classic, to be honest. Uh, the catalogue to me demonstrates that this sits between their sensibilities. You know, it's not as choppy as the metalcore stuff, but conversely, it's got a lot of melodic parts, but I just don't think they're great melodic parts. Um, and I think. Maybe that's the issue. There's, a, there's, a, there's a. They try a lot here, which is admirable. I, I respect that. Um, but I'm comparing each of those elements to better acts, so that the better hooks of Deftones or Caven, the better post-hardcore of Snapcase, the better, you know, or the feral intensity of Converge or Botch, and and so on. So anything they do. I just think there's a better example of it out there and that's kind of unfair maybe because if you did a multi-ratings breakdown you know they never really get above a 6 out of 10 for me on any of those scores and whilst a 6 across the board is no easy feat but previously they were getting you know arguably a 10 out of 10 for their metalcore chops they've now watered that down to become a sort of 6 out of 10 at a lot more things they're a bit more jack of all trades Mm -hmm. but exceptional at none for me Um, so I'm just sort of left shrugging about the band in general Um, and I just just to conclude as well I just think Versions is better fuck knows why I just think (laughs) Versions is a much more likable album How was your experience listening to the whole discography Dave after so many after so many years? It probably just confirmed exactly what I thought, weirdly <laughs> enough, tw- from 20 years ago, that the opposite of December has got two good bits of breakdown that I really enjoy <laughs> that I'd put on a gym playlist that a tear, tear from the red, tear from thread, tear from red, red. I really like Botchla, and then there's a couple of other songs well, that, that was are fine. Good. Yeah. Uh. But like the, when you hear Botchla and you're like, fuck, I want to listen to that album because you basically are expecting a white pony. And then you, you don't get white you pony. don't get white pony. You get Botchla followed by some hardcore, and then versions I do like, but it still just didn't grab me. Like the melodic choices don't get me at all. It's like trying to a bit too hard to be interesting and dark. Uh, same with Tropic Rot. I think there's good bits on it, but I don't think it's got any hooks. And then I've just always really liked this record. Would I listen to this now if I heard it for the first time? Possibly not because. I, it's you know it is what it is and it's aged a bit but i just think it gets it right for i it's the goldilocks zone for me uh, for that band i really like this sorry cheesy humor bits because 
I'm way more cheesier than and emo than you are, Chris. Nostalgia I'm, points, I'm in touch with my feelings, That's Christopher. True, <laughs> You're <true>. not. <laughs> and I definitely think Poison the Well should be in the discography in terms of like being a pioneers of post-hardcore and hardcore I mean, the, metallic we hardcore. As well, this is by far their biggest record. But even yeah. then, it's only about 115,000 sales. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and it's, it's the one that they had on a major label, mm-hmm. but the major label immediately dropped them. Mm-hmm. I listen to this record more than I listen to any cave-in record, Chris. So that's just... That? I'm just saying that that's, that's like why you're not on the pod anymore. My melodic, <laughs> my melodic choice is this over that. For some reason, it just connects with me more. A couple of bands that I would put them with are maybe like Fear Before the March of Flames. That's like interesting. I've not heard that name for a while, but yeah, yeah. who then became fear before? Yeah, um, these arms are snakes as well. These arms mm, are snakes. Yeah, they, but they're, these arms are snakes have got more in common with the the, the versions. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. But then you've just got this list of bands that they are so much better than. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's a long list. Yeah, exactly. And I, oh God, I went to see most of them in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, fuck, I, I, like I've just always had a real soft spot for Poison the Well. From Autumn to Ashes. And um, yeah, from Autumn to Ashes. Let's not do that. It, right. A trio. <laughs> a trio played last week. Yeah, somebody was supporting them. Who was it? Somebody I knew. Can't remember. Anyway, yeah, You're Poison the, the Well. The this is one. a great record. It's fun. Uh, it's, it's fun being emo. Um, well, that brings us to the first edition of The Nexus in quite some time. Mm. A complicated series of connections between different things. The Nexus this week. David, you'll be going first, uh, but we are going to link in honour of your return mm-hmm. uh, to the return of another great David uh, and David Cameron. Uh, David Hammerin. David Hammerin. <laughs> so basically what we've got to do is link Poison the Well to David Cameron and a Six Degrees of Separation style event. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I've done a bit of a mark here and I've tried to get it done as quickly as possible. Oh, you have? Well, I also did, I almost did a me, then I, I found a really interesting route that I just had to go down. All right, so, well, yeah. at one point, one of their bassists, uh, Poison <laughs> the Elf, was called Alan Landsman. Alan Landsman. Yeah. Alan Landsman, he was in Poison the Well until the end, Target to Nev- Nevada, and yep. uh, worked for an indie record label. And in 2018, Landsman was convicted by the US Attorney for District of Maryland for conspiracy to commit mail fraud. Wow. Now, that's a classic old school fraud. (laughs) Not digital fraud. Mail uh, fraud. Not Chris Cusack fraud. Mail fraud. Yeah. That makes me nostalgic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he was sentenced to 30 months prison. So, yeah, real went for it. Um, But he was, what would you say? The judge in his case was uh, the chief U.S. district judge for Maryland, James K. Bredar. I have to correct you say Marlin. 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 Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> and James K. Bredar, chief United States district judge, previously being a magistrate of the, the same court, um, born in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Same ne- place ne- as Nebraska. Yeah. 
Saddle Creek. And yeah, he he's he's been working doing the rounds for a while. Uh, I don't really know what to say. Deputy District Attorney for Moffat County in Colorado from eighty four to eighty five. Very exciting, Great stuff. <laughs> uh, but in twenty ten, he was nominated to be United States District Judge by President Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Do you remember him? He was yep. a nice guy. Those were the days. That's Those when, were the days. Remember, he, remember he just erased racism? Do you remember oh, that? Oh yeah, that was class. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> Solved a lot of stuff. Uh, and Barack, 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 Barack Obama. Well, here's Barack Obama watching the UEFA Champions League final 2012 <laughs> with Francois Hollande, Angela Merkel, a few others, and Mr. David Cameron, who's cheering Chelsea, scoring... A goal, Why? even though he supports he Aston, Aston Villa, and then accidentally said that he supported West Ham West at one Ham. point because uh, he's a fucking moron. <laughs> he is a fucking moron. Um, he is, absolutely. He is. West Ham. He'd see. He just liked ham. That was that, <laughs> exactly. He couldn't help himself. <laughs> well, yeah. So there is some. You get deduct, deducted a point for mentioning that pigs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if people in the other countries know about this. Oh yeah, that's true. So. Poison the Whale must have played with Pig Destroyer at some point. Mark, uh, does yours have any mention of pigs? No. Shall I go? Uh, uh, David Cameron. Uh, there was talk that he skull fucked a dead pig. <laughs> 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 it could just have been idle chatter, yeah, but we all like to think it's gossip, true. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine's just quite long. Is yours quite long? Uh, well, <laughs> don't I boast? <laughs> How big's hey. the pig's head? <laughs> okay, I'll go. Um, so Poison the Whale's current bassist is Bradley Grace. How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> How do they know that? He, play, he actually performed... On, it's updated on Teletext. <laughs> he actually performed on the Tropic Rots. He's been teletext, with fuck me. I'm going to have to explain that now as well. <laughs> Carry on. How do you explain Teletext? <laughs> no, I don't. Because it is a harder task than me initially. It was thought. like the internet without pedophiles. <laughs> um, so... He played bass in the Tropic Rot, so mm-hmm. I think not long after the Tropic Rot came out, they stopped being a band, and now they play the occasional reunion show. So Bradley Grace is actually from Ireland, uh, but he grew up in Jupiter, Florida, when his family moved there in nineteen ninety. There's a place called Jupiter in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, his dad is Brendan Grace. Yeah, guys, does that name ring a bell for anybody? No. Yeah. So um, he first of all, um, he's an, he was an actor. Um, if he, he played Father Fenton 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 Stack, Stack, Father Ted. Fuck off, he really? Did, um, <laughs> the father of a Poison the Well member was in Father Ted. Yeah. <laughs> fucking, wow. I mean, that's wow. a great connection, right? Wait, this is why the next next is even fucking better than that. By the way, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, okay. I just got to go in a direction you'd never even this imagine. This could be an all time great for Mark. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I killed Dave Grohl. <laughs> Um, yeah, so for those who've never seen Father Ted's, um, he basically is a guy who Father Ted calls worse than Hitler because <laughs> you wouldn't find Hitler playing jungle music at three in the morning um, because he's a very loud and obnoxious guy and he oh, ends up man. playing jungle through a massive boombox as well as being, you know, yeah. just generally an asshole to everybody. Worse than Father Jack. Yeah, because he, he replaces Father Jack because Father Jack has to go to hospital because he's got hairy hand syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. anyway, a good bit of telly. Uh, you can see it on YouTube. Um, Oh fuck! He's got a brilliant catchphrase that was like, "Oh fuck!" I can't remember it, but it is funny. By the way, I got the keys of your car, and I drove it into a big wall. If you don't like it, tough. 
I had my fun, and that's all that matters. <laughs> Father, oh God, watch Father Ted. If you've not seen it, please out there go and see it. Another thing about Brendan Grace is he wrote the song "The Combine Harvester." <laughs> Well, I've got a brand new combine harvester and I'll give you the key. Come on now, let's live together in perfect harmony. I've got 20 acres and you've got 43. Well, I've got a brand new combine um, That song was a huge hit in Ireland and was subsequently covered by the Warzos in 1976. I've got a brand oh, new combine harvester. Really? Yeah, he wrote that. Wow. <laughs> Fucking hell. Raj. <laughs> yeah, man. This is, a, this is like the best Nexus mark I've ever done. <laughs> wow. That killed Dave Grohl. <laughs> um... The Warzos have been going since 1966. They are yeah. still a fucking band, yeah. right? Um, they actually play a style of music called Scrumpy and Western. <laughs> Delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, which is basically just comedy folk songs from the West Country in England. Yep. From 1995 to, to 2002, they had a bassist called Dave Wintour. Um, Dave Wintour was a session player uh, and he played with people like Rick Wakeman, Eric Carmen, Roger Daltrey, Steelers Wheel, Russ Ballard and Leo Sayer. And we also played bass in the song Damn It Janet from the 19, uh, from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. There's two ways to get you David Cameron from here. I'm going to go the kind of worst one. The other one is a bit shorter, but it's also quite interesting. But I'll go with that, this one. So Rick Wakeman played... Don't key- blow it, Mark. You're on to a winner here. <laughs> Rick Wakeman played keyboards in Yes, right? Um, uh-huh. Yes. He was also one of the number of celebrities that have done, uh, that did star in a reasonable price oh, yes. car on Top Gear. Yeah, he was one of the celebrities who did it on uh, episodes one of season eight um, when they brought on a new car. There's a bunch of people who did it. Um, oh, one of the hosts of Top Gear was Jeremy Clarkson at that time. Um, and he's a resident of Chipping Norton. Um, the Chipping Norton set. Yes, uh, which is where he now lives and also has a farm from which he yep. films the TV series Clarkson's Farm. Well, it's David, Cameron, David Cameron fuck pigs. David Cameron, <laughs> well, he <laughs> probably could get access to one there, um, but David Cameron is a lord of Chipping Norton. Mm-hmm. Um, as of as yesterday, of I think. The 17th of November, yeah, yeah that's correct, aye. Wow. But um, here's uh, another random aside, is David Cameron actually appeared in Top Gear as well. Did he? Um, yeah, they did an India special and he appeared on camera as Prime Minister saying, don't go to India. Um, and they went and did it anyway. So it's like a weird act of defiance. All right. Yeah, totally bizarre. Right. Um, but a bonus, to the, kind, of, a, a kind of alternate route, I suppose, is... Um, Dave Wintour, who played with uh, Roger Daltrey. Uh, Roger Daltrey was in The Who, so was Keith Moon. And Keith Moon owned a hotel in Chipping Norton called The Crown and Cushion. Um, so also, Roger Daltrey supported Brexit and David Cameron allowed Brexit to happen. <laughs> there you go, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that is my nexus. Great work. Uh, Poison the Well have their own hot sauce. Uh, they actually have two via the, the company Soothsayer. Poison the Hole. In Chicago. <laughs> well, actually, no, one of them's called Hotchla. Oh, that's good. That's yeah, good I'll give them that. And one of them is called Wish for a Sauce That Burns. Wish for a Wings That. Yeah, that's one of the. Well, there you that's go. Off yeah. um, first record. Yeah. So that company also makes a hot sauce for the Flatliners. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah called uh, Big Smoke, apparently. Um, that band is. What's the company called? Uh, they're called Soothsayer. There you go. Is another mm. plug. 
Uh, fronted by Chris Cresswell, the Flatliners, that is Are not the company. Probably one of my favourite bands of all time. Yep, also played and toured with Chuck Reagan. Uh, and is in Hot Water Music. Chuck Reagan, who's in Hot Water Music. So's Chris. Uh, who supported Alkaline Trio at the Glasgow Barrowlands. Uh, another guy who played the Glasgow Barrowlands was Jerry Cinnamon in December of 2017 when he became the first unsigned artist to book and sell out his own show at the venue. And he then added a second night, which also sold out the following evening. All DIY. He's since sold out Hamden Park yep uh, he booked his own Did two nights he booked Hamden his own Park. show at, at Dublin Arena or something like that where yeah. he just phoned up the venue like I'd like to book it and they started laughing at him yeah yeah <laughs> he was like no I'm serious he's a fucking it's very he, Jerry it's, Cinnamon is very interesting it's astonishing man it really incredible. is incredible I, I mean I've told you the story before about how he sold out the barras and then he didn't have a bus or anything like that his mate was giving him a lift in a Ford Fiesta so he had to reverse up the door and climb in the window because <laughs> so many folk were trying to get his autograph so uh, it's there's, there's a Jerry Cinnamon tribute acts out there now I believe that there's Absolutely. Gary Cinnamon Gary yeah. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely is like go up Paisley you'll see Gary oh, Cinnamon what's that um, Barry Nutmeg Barry Nutmeg <laughs> I, was, well, I was going to say you know that like most cinnamon that's on the market's not actually cinnamon it's something else it's like a cheaper uh, yeah. version so you could be Jerry that whatever that uh, is anyway a year later December 2018 Jerry Cinnamon already had celebrities heading to his barra shows uh, Martin Compton was one of them and he uh, tweeted out this video of him chanting you know that here we here we here we fucking go here in Scotland, I think. So much. Oh, it's awful. Um, so he tweeted a video of him singing that outside the venue uh, the night of one of the shows. Compton's a big Celtic fan. Uh, he played in the Maestrio Celtic team, which was a charity match uh, fronted by Paul McStay and Rio Ferdinand to raise money for UNICEF and Warchild. Uh, that game also featured James McAvoy by the way uh, and it featured One Direction's Louis Tomlinson Louis Tomlinson was making his bold return to Celtic Park almost exactly one year after spewing his load on the pitch during the Stillian Petrov Gassed. charity fundraiser <laughs> he he took a pretty fucking hefty tackle was it Agbong Lahore or something like that somebody went absolutely through him right and he'd, I think he did one of his ligaments and then as he went off the pitch he was so out of breath for being really unfit that he literally just projectile vomited onto the Park, there's some amazing photos of it. I was at the game, I saw it happen. Um, it got the biggest cheer of the day as well. Uh, so, Louis Tomlinson was in One Direction, uh, and their hit cover, uh, which was like a mashup of One Way or Another with Teenage Kicks, you know, the Blondie song and mm. the Undertone song, uh, also included a video. And in that video, the band could be seen gyrating outside 10 Downing Street, only to suddenly be joined by the actual David Cameron. The actual David Cameron. Uh, the, fi- the five of the band then start like dancing around them and swarming them. It's quite a sight. And uh, it's a sight that 476 million people have seen on YouTube. That is the world we live in. <laughs> Yeah, let's go back to a simpler time. <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm just going through my phone because I've got a video to show you. Well, I'll show you after the podcast. Yes. but it's of I think uh, one of these Barrowland Jerry Cinnamon gigs, and my pal was filming the show, and there's a slow motion bit of the stairs going up off out the front door. You know the main stairs where yeah, all yeah. The, the names, and there's slow motion, and you're like, what is going on here? There's you're like, there's something happening, <laughs> and then you realise that it's just piss and there's just a guy (laughs) standing at the top of the stairs pissing onto the whole crowd of people coming up the stairs and like gallons of piss (laughs) and then like it slowly moves to his face and he's got the biggest cheesy grin ever (laughs) he's just 
pissing on all these folk and then just at the end you can see like a security guy running up the stairs like what the fuck uh, it's an amazing piece of cinema I've also got a photo of uh, somebody at the next year at the, the next Jerry Cinnamon Christmas gig of just a guy in the men's bathroom just shitting in the bin <laughs> wearing a Santa hat <laughs> I mean, poor Jerry, can he regulate his audience? He knew, no, 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 he, he knew what he was getting into. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Ordinary um, fucking people. <laughs> salt, salt of the earth. Uh, right, Dave, it was a fucking new pleasure. Yeah, it was, great to, have it was back, a joy, yeah. To bring us back in hot yeah. after. I can't say the same about every yeah. Dave that's come back, but you yeah. certainly are. <laughs> pleased to see you. Well, the next time I see you, it'll be bloody Christmas, I hope, oh, eh? It'll be that'll be smashed. Yep, yeah, next time you see us. You'll be shitting the bin. That's the aim. Where are we going to shit in the bin this year? The Barrowlands. Let's pick it out. Just phone up, phone up, Baron. Excuse me, I just want to book it for a night. <laughs> I'd like to shit in the famous bin. Um, yeah, uh, awesome. Uh, we can all defecate in a variety of places. We could get the audience to suggest them. Um, so uh, it's also a good time to start getting your questions in for the Christmas episode. Well, they got some. So We've um, got some crackers. Uh, but uh, thank Christmas you crackers. on it, those on Instagram that have um, that have gave us questions yep. um, so we'll start the big build up to that we will be back with another episode soon uh, we've got a couple of really good ideas in the pipeline and a couple of guests that we're going to try and get involved thanks for sticking with us we appreciate your contributions and your patience and your attention it was our first break in six years so I hope you forgive us uh, I am going to go and piece my life back together uh, guys it's been a pleasure God bless God bless everyone <laughs>